Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. I can't see anything. That noise... He is coming alone. We can't face him! We must try, Padawan. It's close, but where? It's all around us! Calm yourself. Steady. Everybody, welcome to episode 127, right, Brian? It was 127? Indeed. 127. That was smooth, wasn't it, Amy? It was super smooth, okay. as was me just forgetting that my mic was muted. <laughs> <laughs> and welcome to Full of Sith. Obviously, Mike Pilot is not steering the ship today. <laughs> I am with my knees, and I'm not even looking at the windscreen uh, or the radar or anything, but it's a fun but way to fly, isn't it, you guys? Basically, Mike flies the Falcon, and you came in this week with the Outrider. <laughs> I would be a nub. Oh yeah. Oh, actually, yeah. No, that's not an insult. No, I know. I was, I was starting to be like, oh, but then I realized, no, that's actually kind of cool, especially since he seems to uh, have a bit of uh, a presence in uh, not just the upcoming canon novels, but also in the Force Awakens itself. So I mean, hey, neither of you guys have a role in the Force Awakens. I do now, so thanks. I appreciate that, Amy. You're welcome. What are we going to talk about, Brian? we got a couple of news things we need to clear out of the way before we address the main topic of this week's show, so hit me off. So the first bit of news you might have seen absolutely everywhere hmm. on the internet this last week is that midi-chlorians would not be mentioned in The Force Awakens. and uh, Huh, that doesn't seem like... Uh... It doesn't seem like like news, Brian. No, it doesn't. I, You know what? I would also guess that things like Jabba the Hutt won't be mentioned. And I would guess that Qui-Gon Jinn probably won't be mentioned. Do you know why? Hmm. Because there are no reason for the characters to reference these things. <laughs> that, is a, that is something to keep in mind. Um, can either of you think of a scenario in which midi-chlorians would be brought up uh, during the course of The Force Awakens? I can, actually. Oh, Amy! I think it's unlikely, but if we are seeing a time period where Luke is kind of building up the Jedi again, or talking about the Jedi, and presumably training others, bringing other Force-sensitive people in, and he's maybe found some old information, he's studying some old dusty books, I feel like there is a possibility in that regard that he could come up and like oh what are these <laughs> and maybe it's relevant or not but i feel like that scenario could have existed could have maybe brian why is that scenario unlikely well i think that we'd have skipped over luke's exploration of of those things much of it i mean it's 30 years have passed mm. um and we might have some answers uh from the marvel comics with uh, shattered empire and chuck wendig's aftermath that uh, especially if you've read, read the first chapter of Aftermath, you know, maybe Luke getting to the old Jedi Temple to look any of that stuff up would be a lot harder than one would think. 
And um, I'm gonna I'm gonna come at it from the more practical point of view. The amount of time needed to stop down and even set up a scenario in which such an explanation would be plausible uh, would make the Force Awakens probably five to ten minutes longer than it probably needs to be, which would probably make such a sequence really easy to cut when you're trying to narrow things down for the theatrical release. The thing is that everyone and their cousin wrote this up as a story that, like, J.J. Abrams is completely ignoring midi-chlorians. That's simply not the case. No. Uh, the reason midi-chlorians <laughs> won't be in The Force Awakens is because, as Brian said, there's absolutely no reason for midi-chlorians to show up in The Force Awakens because it will have been almost 100 years since anyone in the galaxy knew what a midi-chlorian was. Well, the amusing part, I, I mean, of many amusing parts, but the most amusing part for me is literally all J.J. Abrams said was no. Yeah. <laughs> like, there wasn't a sentence. There wasn't any context. He was asked if they would be in the film. It's like, no. Well, it is sort of similar to uh, when at Comic-Con, someone got up in the crowd and asked him about uh, Darth Plagueis. And he said, no. Like, there wasn't a, a flood of articles at that point, because it also doesn't make all that much sense for Darth Plagueis to have showed up in The Force Awakens either. Well, I mean, can, and, all Darth Plagueis is in the uh, in the films is a story that Palpatine tells. And so many people have been saying, like, this is proof that, that Abrams is overwriting the prequels. It was it was uh, a very weird bit of not news being promoted as news. Like again, I am not a person who's a huge fan of the prequels, but even I heard this and I was like, "Well, why would the midichlorians be brought up? Why is this even a thing?" And so many headlines too were just like, "Guess what reviled part of the prequels will <laughs> further be ignored in this next film?" And it's just like, "Are you serious?" <laughs> like, <laughs> I know. Like they're also not going to be flying around the little clone transports. Um, what? Yeah, they're not. I'm out. That's <laughs> cards on the table. Flip the table over. So if this means they're not mentioning Ewoks, does that mean that they existed? Hmm, that's a good question. That's a very good question. I don't know. This whole story, the way the the press has handled this non-story as a story is just angered and confused yeah. me. Well, I mean, and it's it's just part of the decades-long prism by which fandom continues to look at itself through this weird prequels and originals divide. And I don't I don't get it. I don't understand why we force ourselves to look at everything through that prism. Like we don't have to, but we but we choose to do it. <laughs> we absolutely well, and, choose to do it and I don't and I don't understand why we still do. There's no so, there's no need for it. So many of the stories too clearly had like a misunderstanding of midi-chlorians mm -hmm. also. Well, yeah. Where they are not the force. No, they're heroin. I've been wondering, what are midi-chlorians? It's heroin. Sure. Um <laughs> they are they are not the force. They weren't a replacement for the force. Yeah. They were one scientific aspect that the Jedi found that is something that helped them communicate with that continued mystery of the Force. Mm -hmm. Like your broadband connection. Yeah. Midichlorians are, are your router. They're your little uh, symbiotic router inside of your uh, Force-sensitive body. Yeah, and Internet's all around us, like the Force. I, <laughs> I guess you could point at your router and say, that's the Force, or that's the Internet, but it's not the Internet. Not. If that went away, the Internet would still exist. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's, um, a, that's a good way to put it. That's a very good... One of the many explanations for midichlorians that have existed uh, over the past decade and a half since we first heard the word. So, I mean, it's not like it's a hard concept to grasp. And it's if, not like it took up all that much space and time in The Phantom Menace either. But, I mean, it's it's one of the cards that we play in fandom slapjack to try to prove to anyone who's looking that we're better fans than someone else who doesn't like the same thing we like. And that's that's all it is. If you didn't pay enough attention to the movie, though, mm -hmm. to be able to differentiate the Force from the midi-chlorians helping someone communicate with the Force, why do I care about reading your think piece? <laughs> Fair well, point. And, and why, why is it a think piece? Because, again, there's absolutely zero narrative reason for characters who aren't Jedi in The Force Awakens to be talking about almost an entirely only known to Jedi concept from 80 years previous. This would be like us, like about contemporary medicine discussing like the benefits of leeching. 
<laughs> All right. So what's the next? What's the next uh, bit of news that's kind of newsy, but not really newsy? Before we dive into what we're really here to discuss today, we are getting steelbook variants of the Blu-rays of the uh, Star Wars saga mm. to date, which is episodes one through six. Which again throws wrenches in everyone's. Uh, they're disavowing the prequels theories. And also throwing wrenches in there that next Blu-ray release is going to have the originals on it. Yeah, I don't know why people still holding on to that hope. We told you guys. They're not letting go of that dream. No, we told you guys a couple months ago. That dream is dead. And a couple months before that. I know. The the dream is dead. Uh, Like, Brian and I were talking before we actually hit record, and we agree that, yes, the theatricals should be released at some point because, you know, the gold standard of Blu-ray releases still is, to this day, what they did over on the Blade Runner set, where, like, basically every cut of the film that ever existed got thrown on there. There was, like, a three-hour documentary, God knows how much behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, They got everybody back to talk about it, to reminisce on it. You see... How much? I don't even know. Uh, pre-production artwork, planning, plotting, all that stuff. Um, if you could get Star Wars sets to aspire to that level of wonderfulness, yes, please, by all means, do that. But the 4K remasters that everyone has been talking about for about a year now um, are done, from what I understand. And we know for a fact that they are not the originals. We know. It's been told to us. These are just the same discs you already own. In a so, different package. Yeah. yeah. There's a theory about why they're coming out this way, though. There is a desire for Disney to have a release of them. And they, I mean, Disney's never released them. Disney's never got a taste mm. of that Star Wars Blu ray money, yeah. right? Because those came out when they were still with Fox before the sale. They put out the digital versions and they probably said, wow, this was great. We love that money. <laughs> and now you're going to get the Blu ray versions that are probably. I wonder if they are going to be the digital versions without the Fox logo and just going straight into the Lucasfilm thing. I, I would imagine um, that's going that's to be... Theory. Yeah. So I, I guess I'm wrong in but, that they're not going to be the exact same discs you already own. Like, they're essentially going to be the exact same discs you already own. If if you're going through there and you're going to start combing through the film at 2.5 times speed to see if there's a change, probably the only change you're going to spot is the change that has already been administered to the digital versions, which is that weird chopped up version of the Empire crescendo replacing the 20th Century Fox fanfare. On the packaging itself, they've removed the episode numbers, mm-hmm. which is something that I think they're gearing up for. I mean... They've really been adamant that they don't want people referring to The Force Awakens as anything but The Force Awakens. Yeah, and, and you can see that on the uh, the young adult novels as well, which actually have uh, better covers than these steelbooks, I think. I can't I can't figure out the thing with the steelbooks, right? They've yeah. got villains across the board except for episode two, and it's just Yoda. Yeah. <laughs> like, why? Yeah. why? Why? Why not just make it Dooku and make it a villain set? Yeah. Why not sell two of them? One of them's heroes and one of them's villains. Yeah, it's very it's very strange. The The packaging convention doesn't seem to make very much sense. And I guess over in the UK, I don't know if this is the case for the US versions, but the UK versions have the film posters on the back of the steelbooks, which makes you wonder, why, why aren't the film posters? The, I don't know and these things. I'm really things. confused why Grievous rates a cover. Like, if you're <laughs> going for the whole villain thing, but you're not because you have Yoda and of all the characters... Mm-hmm. Maybe this is secret commentary that Yoda's a bad guy and Mike was right the whole time. <laughs> so we're we're talking about what? We're talking about Blu-rays, we're talking about midi-chlorians. Let's talk about something important. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about Amy, you you brought this up, right? This was this was your idea. Yes. Today's show is your idea. Yes. Yes. Guaranteed to be a great damn show. Um, it's something that I think we should talk about, not only because we're talking about uh, things that you can buy on Blu-ray. Uh, we're talking about you know the status of canon and why things should matter and why things might not matter. Uh, and the thing we're going to talk about today is interesting because it's kind of the flip to all of that. Like You can go and you can get that complete saga. You can pre-order it right now. But you can't get what we're about to talk about today. Um, we're worried about midi-chlorians being referenced in an upcoming movie, but what we're going to talk about today has been completely, 100% removed from all canon, and yet, you cannot discount how influential 2003's Clone Wars micro-series was. Amy, why did you want to talk about this almost already 100% forgotten aspect to the Star Wars saga? 
kind of because of that reason, because it seems to be forgotten and that annoys me a little because it's wonderfully done. Gindy Tart, I have a really hard time with his last name, so I'm just going to call him Gindy. Tartakovsky. Thank you. Mm. He brought such an interesting style to the Star Wars universe. A lot of people, when they think of Clone Wars, they think of the animated series that ran for a long time, clearly, and it's wonderful, and that is my Star Wars. But this came first, and I get frustrated that it's been brushed kind of to the pile where the holiday special lives, you know, in the closet that nobody ever cleans out. <laughs> kind of they've covered up the door. They like to pretend for some reason that it doesn't mm-hmm. exist. And whereas the holiday special is, I feel there for a reason, because it's not good. No, it's not uh, at all good. I don't understand. Even... I don't understand people who hold parties to watch it. I absolutely do not because that is just basically like inviting people to come over and get clubbed in their soft and jumblies for ninety straight minutes. Like, there's nothing entertaining. The one thing that is entertaining about it is that Boba Fett cartoon. That's it. Absolutely. Everything it. else. Everything else. You just. You just don't like yourself if you keep watching of- it. I kind of think that the holiday special and. Clone Wars are sort of, uh, they're both in the closet, but they're they're on opposite sides of the spectrum. This is the thing that Lucas kind of put it away, and everybody liked it, whereas the holiday special was the thing that they put away, and nobody liked it. Well, they do uh, share similarities in that, even though they've been trapped in that closet with R. Kelly, they they <laughs> still managed to influence a little bit. Like, again, we've, we've talked about the holiday special uh, being the first appearance of Boba Fett. You know, not counting parades. Well, not counting parades, but I mean, like animated Star Wars really got its start with that holiday special, that relationship that I believe Nelvana and Lucasfilm had, which led to cartoons like droids and did Ewoks. Did they do Ewoks? I don't know if they did Ewoks. Yeah. Did they? Okay, I think, I think they, did. they did. Yeah. Okay. They also did gummy bears, and you can kind of see that between. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you totally can. Yeah. So I mean, like the holiday special does have influence on the rest of the saga even though it's been relegated to that closet and specifically on clone wars i read an interview with gindy about Mm -hmm. he was talking about the clone wars and his influences and he referenced the boba fett cartoon and how when he was working on the designs with the art director that that definitely as a matter of fact uh nelvana gets shouted out a couple times in Tartakovsky's clone wars uh first as the name of an alien species that anakin has to go help and the way that he animated 3PO in Clone Wars was a direct homage to how 3PO was animated in the droids cartoon. So, like, that start in the holiday special echoed into Clone Wars. And there are a lot of firsts that Clone Wars had that ended up echoing into uh, Filoni series and the rest of the saga, period. I actually put together a list of Clone Wars first. And it's sort of like a table of contents, essentially. So, Star Wars' first Emmy Award. First appearance of James Arnold Taylor as Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's the first animated appearance of Asajj Ventress, who is named by Leland Chi after a character from Throne of Blood, Kurosawa's adaptation of Macbeth. First appearance of General Grievous, who was voiced by John DiMaggio at first. Bender was General Grievous when he first showed up. First appearance of General Grievous's cough. First appearance of Anakin's 90 degree chin and Obi-Wan's stripy beard, which is a nice way, <laughs> which is a nice way of saying that the character designs that you saw Filoni use in The Clone Wars were heavily inspired by Paul Rudish's designs on Tartakovsky's Clone Wars series. It's the first appearance of Obi-Wan rocking clone trooper armor. First appearance of Dan Tuin on screen. First appearance of the planet Mon Calamari. On screen, which leads to the first underwater battle, first lightsaber well, fight. Did you count Phantom Menace and the fight with all the fish as a battle? I wouldn't count that as a battle. They're running. Yeah, that was a yeah. More feature of a encounter. Yeah, yeah, that was that was them bailing out and a bunch of fish just sort of going at each other. That that was more like a peek into a, an aquarium. First lightsaber ignited underwater. First lightsaber built on screen. First lightsaber fight in the rain. Now, there was Obi-Wan Kenobi igniting a lightsaber in the rain in Attack of the Clones, but that wasn't really a lightsaber fight. And it was also in Clone Wars the first time you actually specifically had sound effects for the rain hitting the lightsaber, which was very oh, cool. So good. And atmospheric. First solo clone trooper raid. Like, we're fairly used to the idea of clone troopers being super badasses. First happened in Clone Wars. 
First Ithorian doing something other than just sort of sitting there and grumbling. First time Anakin sees himself becoming Vader in a vision. First appearance of a crashed Star Destroyer on a planet surface. Um, a recent interview with Tartakovsky actually has him being super excited when watching the uh, the Force Awakens second teaser because he was like, ooh, we did that first. That was us. Like, he doesn't... That's he does, cool. He doesn't straight out say, I bet you JJ saw my Clone War series and took that idea. But he is sort of happy that... Something that he thought up, I think he said something, for 50 bucks <laughs> at the tail end of his series uh, was something that was realized in live action with a super big budget and it took a bunch of people's breath away. So he was just happy to see it in the best possible way, something that was in his mind at one point. It was in someone else's mind and they realized it in a way that he couldn't. So he was really happy about that. This is the first and only time we see a Jedi advance from the rank of Padawan to Master. Oh, you're right. You are absolutely right. The, this is the first time that you get to see all the Jedi in a circle, lightsabers up, and oh, Yoda has like a little a little spiel and, that he says, and he knights Anakin. Cuts off his Padawan braid, and I loved that moment where he sends it to Padme, and she puts it in the box with the Japor snippet. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the weirdest thing. This is the first ever butt shot and sexy 3PO scene ever seen. <laughs> either animated or live action. 3PO gets like a disrobing scene and it is weird. weird it is so weird. And that's and one of the things that you talked about, uh, Amy, the humor of Tartakovsky's Clone Wars, which is not an aspect of it that I think a lot of people bring up when they do talk about it, but it was one of the first things that jumped out at you upon rewatch, yes? Yes, I was surprised by the amount of well intentional but also i think unintentional humor but they're just you know 3po panics a lot and there was one scene where he literally waved his arms around uh, i didn't realize actually until i looked today that anthony daniels voiced that but i should have known because if 3po is around he's involved i can't think of an example in which there's been a 3po that wasn't anthony daniels um tom kane has done it for some stuff okay and and actually a lot of the voice actors that you know of from uh Filoni's clone wars appear here in animated form for the first time like uh cory burton did dooku in a couple video games before this project uh but he that this is basically the first time anyone saw like an animated dooku and it was cory burton doing the voice like we already talked about james arnold taylor this was his first time doing obi-wan kenobi period from what i understand so i mean a lot of voices did carry over a lot of them got recast though um, Thankfully, that you don't like yeah. the Anakin. Were you talking about Anakin? You're talking Anakin. about Anakin. You didn't like the Anakin in this. No, I think that oh. I think he tried. the The problem is, is that even as they got into Episode Three areas, this Anakin was still like the Anakin from the beginning of Attack of the Clones, mm. and Matt Lanter was a very good bridge. Yeah. Anakin. But Nika Futterman was there as Asajj Ventress. Actually, no. It was no. great. It was great Lyle. See, even when they cast different actors, I don't know if they specifically tried to pattern themselves, but I got to imagine that's not a coincidence. Like, it, she gets well, hired on to do Asajj Ventress. She's going to go back and look at who else has done Asajj Ventress. And what Gray Delisle did as Ventress in this show is definitely picked up and run with. Uh, in in Filoni's show, most definitely. Same with Padme, uh, I feel like, who she also voiced. Mm-hmm. And I thought, like, listening to it, I just thought it was a really young Cat Tabor. Me too. Um, was that T.C. Carson as Mace Windu? That was T.C. Carson as Mace Windu, yes, Okay, indeed. so he yeah. carried over. Mm-hmm. And, and let's Tom actually, Kane as well. Yeah, and let's talk about uh, Mace Windu, because uh, we, we mentioned it a little bit before in a previous show, but this is the strongest, the single strongest argument for Mace Windu being the best Jedi on two feet uh, during the prequel era. There are scenes in which Mace Windu takes center stage that are, I don't think this is hyperbole, uh, some of the best framed, best executed action in all of Star Wars, period. I I agree. And I like the contradiction of you get Mace Windu in his finest hour, 100%, -hmm. and also the Mace Windu from the prequels, who I like to call Captain Obvious, who when the Coruscant, you know, Coruscant is getting attacked and and ships are everywhere, and he's all like, oh, I think we're under attack. (laughs) We're under, I'm like, well done, Mace Windu. Yeah, we talked about it a little bit last week about how uh, his two speeds in the prequels seem to be slow walk and 
faster, slightly less yeah. slow walk. Yeah, and slightly less slow walk. Whereas here in this series, um, his two speeds are whoop ass and then whoop a planet's worth of ass. Those are his two speeds, and he so, never he never drops below those two. And I like that it's uh, doing things that you can only do in animation. That's part of why I think it's such a, a joy to watch. Like, I don't mind if it matches up perfectly, which it was planned to do. It was supposed to lead directly into uh, episode three. And as a matter of fact, the DVD for it was supposed to launch on the same day as episode three's DVD. So you could, if you wanted to, uh, watch those two Clone Wars well, sets and then immediately put in episode three and you would pick up right where that series had left off. But I do like that it it does what you can't do in live action and it does it really well like that it's just so clean and so fast and the way things move and the economy in not only the action but the storytelling and the the acting as well one of the problems i've always had with rebels is that the uh the acting in the face specifically is often not quite on and the timing is it just sort of slides in and out uh of being optimal whereas this is very much I don't want to say Chuck Jones inspired because I'm not entirely sure that Tartakovsky was inspired by Chuck Jones, but it's hard to be a brilliant animator like Tartakovsky is and not be inspired by Chuck Jones. And just sort of the very minimal way he'll lift an eyebrow or squint an eye or yeah. have the corner of the mouth lift up or and have that, that and have that say so that much. I loved the enemy commander who was uh explaining to his droid that it would take an army of Jedi mm-hmm. to take over his base and just watching his eye twitch when they'd only sent two. <laughs> That's another really good example, actually, of the way the character is built in this show. Because it's not like uh, how Filoni does it, where he knows he's got four episodes and he's got an arc to build. Like, Tartakovsky was specifically told by Lucasfilm no arcs try and keep the characters as flat as possible uh, especially since you've only got three minutes in which to tell your story because that was originally a lot of people don't know that now or at least that it's sort of academic like they know that but they don't really think about it when they're watching clone well, wars because it's all edited into one big thing now on dvd and on youtube if you have if you were lucky enough to get the dvd uh but when it originally aired you had to sort of catch it in between cartoons on cartoon network and it was in three minute chunks I would actually like to ask you guys about the first time you watched it. And I watched it on TV um, and on StarWars.com because they released it for like the one episode for like a week. Tell me about the first time both of you had actually seen it. I couldn't keep up. I couldn't. I couldn't catch it when they would originally air. And uh, I would often forget to check StarWars.com. And so there were like three or four weeks during that, that first run of season one where I just missed entire uh chunks and so basically the only time i actually got to watch it in full was when those dvds came out like i think i went to a blockbuster when blockbuster was still a thing (laughs) this is why we're the old folks uh, well no the reason why we're the old folks podcast is uh once again pulling back the curtain here uh both of you fell asleep trying to watch this thing yesterday like old people i made it i was awake till like 30 i i fell asleep in my easy chair trying to watch this last night (laughs) you're so old at 9 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, yeah, that was the first time I ever actually got to watch it all in one go because I just couldn't catch it uh, the way it was originally rolled out. Uh, what about you, Amy? Did you manage to catch it all on StarWars.com or CartoonNetwork.com or actually as it was airing on Cartoon Network? No, like so many things, pieces of pop culture and media in my life, I didn't know it existed until long after it was over. Ah. So I didn't watch it for the first time until maybe four or so years ago and I watched it on DVD. Mm. It wasn't something that was very heavily planned out or anything. Like Lucasfilm approached Cartoon Network uh, and and was like, we want to do a thing where it's like one one minute little episodes and they'll you know sort of bridge the gap between episodes two and episode three. Uh, and Tartakovsky apparently was just going in for a normal meeting when the guy at Cartoon Network sort of sprung it on him. And Tartakovsky's like, I can't do a minute. Like, can you get me like three to five minutes? And Lucasfilm was like, yeah, we'll, we'll give you three to five minutes. Just uh, hook something up. Don't give us any character arcs, although they did end up sneaking a character arc. Well, I think that anyway. was par- partially because of the split in the seasons, right? So the yeah. original, the original 
doesn't have those arcs really. There's like the one cliffhanger or two with mm-hmm. Anakin and Ventress. Yeah. Right. Um, but th- there's a pretty, really clear delineation there where you've got Anakin fighting Ventress in the fighters mm-hmm. and Anakin fighting Ventress on uh, the fourth moon of Yavin. Yeah. Um, but that first season came out and it ends with Anakin coming back and saying, you know, saying, yeah, you're right. It was a trap of the Sith and, and Obi-Wan's mad about it. And then they get that call and that introduces us to General Grievous. And that was supposed to be it. This was before they'd cast Grievous. Um, or Matthew Wood is Grievous. This was still when when Gary Oldman was in r- rumors to be the voice of General Grievous, mm-hmm. and they had no idea what he was going to end up sounding like. So that's how John DiMaggio just like interpreted it. Yeah, not having seen the movie. Yeah, and and, and that's I think actually he nailed it. Yeah, that's right. that's an, that's a very interesting point uh, regarding Grievous because we talked about how Mace Windu is the Uber Windu because of Clone Wars. Uh, it's the same thing with Grievous, uh, and it's yeah. partially because they didn't know what he was supposed to be like. That they just sort cool. of like we've got we've got free reign. I guess he's got to fit in here somehow. So what do we do with him? That then, Grievous is deserving of the cover of the Steel Book. Yeah. So there's a way that characters move in Tartakovsky animation that they just they don't move like that anywhere else. Absolutely do not. And the way he frames things and the way things move through his frame, it's very unique to him. And things just pop off that screen. Uh, and it feels impactful and it feels faster than anything you should be able to keep up with. There were a couple of moments. I, I think to that point, though, I really loved the tandem fighting mm-hmm. that Luminara and Barris do in the On Temple Ellen. of Ilum. But there were other things that it added to the expectations of Episode 3 Yeah, um, that I really loved. And getting back to Grievous, mm-hmm. the scene where Dooku is training him, right? It makes his defeat so makes so much more sense. Um with Dooku's training, mm-hmm. um, where Dooku tells him flat out, like, you need to defeat their body and soul. Like, you need to make them feel crushed before you even get in, into a confrontation with the Jedi, or they will tear you apart. Mm-hmm. That kind of helped me bridge, like, the disconnect between um, everyone finding him to be this feared Jedi, or like Kiari Mundi getting torn apart by him. Yeah. Uh, with them going like, "Hey, we gotta we, we gotta lead on Grievous. Send Obi Wan," mm-hmm. and that was it. I really liked just that they picked a direction and they went with it. Now, again, I was talking earlier about how people tend to you know choose to view everything through that prequels originals uh, prism, uh, and it's not necessarily helpful at all. Uh, and just focusing on Clone Wars and the decisions made in this Clone Wars, he fits perfectly with the story that Tartakovsky's choosing to tell. They chose to make him scary as hell. Um, and then they stuck with it. Like, and it's effective. It's super effective. Like, he doesn't speak very much. Uh, at all like again the the efficiency in storytelling with clone wars is fairly amazing uh in that there's not much dialogue at all even when Tart- in general yeah, yeah like even when tartakovsky has more time uh to craft serious character arcs they don't speak all that much they don't talk all that much it's very much you learn who these people are and why they act the way they do based on what they're actually doing uh you get a sense of how creative uh, and uh, quick thinking Mace Windu is because of what he's doing in the battles that he's involved in. Uh, and you get a sense of how ruthless Grievous is with how quickly and he dispatches rooms of enemies like it's nothing. And the way that they actually allow Jedi to feel emotion in Clone Wars, uh, I think, also adds to that. Like, Jedi are supposed to be stoic. And often in this series, they still are. They, they're still pretty stoic and straight-faced. But part of why Grievous feels as menacing as he does in the show is because uh, Kiari Mundi is freaked out. Um, other Jedi are completely freaked out. Uh, the Shaggy Shock- Jedi. Yeah, Shock T has... Shock T, her reaction to losing... Oh, she, is, comrades, yeah. she is so ragged the entire time. And that chase sequence, that extended chase sequence uh, from Palpatine's room... Uh, all the way to Palpatine actually getting taken up into space by Grievous leading into episode three. Like, that's just masterful. The way all of that 
folds together brilliantly and perfectly. And there's so many different types of fighting so that you never actually get bored with, you know, sabers flying all over the place. Like it's, and she is on the ragged edge the entire time and you can feel for her. You can Uh, see it. Yeah. 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 I mean, and and it's not like she's, you know, not like three PO waving his arms around because he got caught up in a blanket or something, but like it's, (laughs) it's very small little, I think well, that uh, Padme Anakin bit is the that part of their relationship. Her taking the Padawan braid and putting it in a mm-hmm. special box, yeah, without any dialogue, says so much more to me about their relationship than any conversation or, they've had. Or you could sort of make an argument. I don't know if this is the case, but you could sort of make an argument that one of the uh, most affecting scenes in Revenge of the Sith, uh, where you have Anakin and Padme on opposite sides of the city, staring out windows at where the other might be and just sort of sensing each other and the music is rising they they do that in this series like he lifts off in his ship to go fight uh yeah and he presses and he presses his hand against the cockpit window and she sees him and she presses her hand against her her bedroom window and they just sort of share a look and it's just the music rising like that that happens in clone wars first (laughs) and it's fairly affecting i i think that's one of my favorite moments Mm-hmm. Um, in the entire thing. The first time I watched that, I, I watched it all live and that was the end of the first episode, I believe. And it was that moment that uh, invested me into the whole thing. The swell of Across the Stars, that forlorn sort of feeling between the two of them. It was perfect. And all they did was share sad eyes and press their hands against glass. Mm-hmm. I also think that the decision to sort of flatten out the character arcs in that first in that first bit actually sort of helped uh, with Anakin because again they sort of had to make a choice and then stick with that choice much like they did with Mace Windu uh, he's going to be Superman uh, much like they did with General Grievous uh, he's going to be the Terminator uh, they had to choose to make Anakin uh, more rough edged than anything like we've talked before that in Filoni's Clone Wars or even in the prequels themselves uh, part of why Anakin doesn't doesn't quite land with some people is because he kind of waffles he kind of vacillates and never, he never quite comes down on a side or even when he is uh, on that fence he's not he's not inhabiting either the good fairly well or the bad fairly darkly and in this series like they pick a choice and he has to run with it and he's basically bad boy the entire time and not really apologetic like he'll feel bad for being the bad boy but he never really says he's sorry for it, and he never really changes. And I think that actually makes Anakin a bit of a stronger character, especially when he's in that weird teenage boy, I'm grumpy, I'm angry, and people owe me stuff mode. I love I love the moment where uh, he's off taking off with his wife, and Obi-Wan's like, why didn't you answer? Like, I was trying to get a hold of you. And he basically gives him the business. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then Obi-Wan's like, oh, by the way, we were going to make you a Jedi. That's what you're late for, Dick. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a lot of those little moments. Um, I think maybe my favorite moment in the entire micro series, um, and it's not uh, a big splashy action scene because there's so many of those and they're so done well. Um, it's the Athorian Jedi trying to get the elevator to come faster by hitting the button. Yeah, <laughs> see that humor? Like that was perfect. What are your favorite moments? You know, I'm gonna go for. It's an obvious one, but watching Mace Windu mm-hmm. speed punch droids in the chest is <laughs> is just pretty tremendous. Oh yeah, he goes straight Ip Man on so many droids. Oh, and, and I like the I like the part where um he pulls all the bolts out of one and then uses the bolts to kill four others and then throws the debris afterwards. It's See, amazing. It's, that's how you know that these could never be canon because he's in exactly the same situation with the exact same shots from Attack of the Clones with all the droids surrounding them. Mm-hmm. And in that, it's like, nope, this is a hopeless situation. We have to give up. And in the cartoon, it's just like, I don't no need problem. anybody else. I'm doing this by myself. Yeah. Actually, in, in Attack of the Clones, he, he uh, very slowly walks backwards uh, to his ship. Yeah. <laughs> um, in the same scene, I, I really like the little boy who is watching that fight. Mm-hmm. I loved the uh, Asajj Ventress taking apart Anakin's clones on Yavin. It was cut like a horror film mm-hmm. or the trailer to a horror film. And uh, it worked really well. I don't know. I've got a lot of favorite moments. I really liked the moment where uh, Qui-Gon is there telling little boy Anakin to go 
into the cave. I really love the interplay between Anakin and, and Padme in that, that moment we were talking about earlier with the ships. I love the moment where uh, <laughs> Shaq T ties Grievous's cape to the train. <laughs> and Palpatine's uh, eyebrow just goes up a little bit as he realizes yes. what's about to go down. Palpatine is actually... His characterization in this is also fairly interesting because it's not a choice that happens in any other version uh, of the character or any of the other uh, films or cartoons. Like he's he's just sort of supercilious. He's very snotty and aristocratic in a way that he isn't in the films. And I and I really enjoy that choice. Like on its own in this series, it works perfectly well, especially since, you know, he's the guy. Tartakovsky is like, oh, you know, he's Sidious. You absolutely know he's Sidious. So we're just going to go ahead and roll with it. Like, of course, the front of um, course, the front for Sidious is going to be a snobby, so, rich guy who who doesn't understand what's going on around him. Like he's calmly drinking tea as explosions are going on in Coruscant. That scene was that was wonderfully framed. Oh, yeah. It's, I, uh, and funny, too. It's, it's really funny. Grievous kicks in a window and kills like 15 clone troopers and those blue guys who never do anything uh, and they still don't Worthless do it. guards. Yeah. Um, and it's funny. It's actually, it's a very funny sequence. I think Another there's two- funny oh, favorite, oh, sorry, of mine uh, that I thought of when Brian mentioned Padme was when they're on Ilum and she decides she has to go help Yoda because mm-hmm. she's worried about him and she tosses her cape, you know, her fur line cape out as a decoy and then makes 3PO go get it because she needs another decoy. <laughs> um... So I think there's two things we should talk about, and that is Dirge and the Mon Calmari battle that was readapted into Clone Wars. So Dirge was the bounty hunter character that was hired by the intergalactic banking clan to fend off the, and quite successfully fend off, the uh, invasion by the uh, Galactic Republic. He had like Boba Fett's like symbol on his chest, and he was a weird. I don't even know how to describe him. Uh, I I do because um, there are more than a few shots. Um, we've talked about influences in the way that Tartakovsky influenced the rest it's of Star Akira. Wars. Oh, it's straight up Akira, like in so yeah. many ways. Like Obi Wan Kenobi gets the motorcycle shot <laughs> that everyone knows from that movie. Like that that motorcycle shot of Kaneda sort of skidding backwards. Uh, has showed up on posters, on covers of the DVDs and Blu-rays. Uh, it's one of the most repeated and homage shots in animation history, and Obi-Wan gets it. Dirge is sort of like Tetsuo after he's sort of lost all control of his power and turned into that weird pink blobby thing. Like, that's what yeah. Dirge is. That's Dirge Unleashed becomes Tetsuo at the end of Akira, and it's nuts because you don't expect to have some Akira get all weird and pulsy and yellow in the middle of your Star Wars cartoon, and then it happens. And here's the thing that's interesting about Dirge. Not only that he exists and that he's really cool and that I wanted to see more of them, but we were going to get to see more of him. Really? He he was supposed to be on the Clone Wars, on Filoni's Clone Wars. Huh. And George Lucas is the one who decided at the last minute, no, 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 we're not going to use that guy. Here's Cad Bane instead. Well, I can't I, I can't knock the uh, the trade off there because Cad Bane is a, a very well uh, constructed and executed character, uh, whereas Dirge was essentially only there. He's a brute force. Yeah, he was there to be Tetsuo and then get blown up at the end. That's all he was really there for. Well, and to lead a bunch of uh, IG droids on speeder bikes, which was amazing. That was really cool. And so, so that's that's one of the big changes that we were supposed to get out of that. But uh, Filoni, uh, I talked to him in a couple of different interviews, and I'd interviewed him so many times over the years that I don't remember what interview. Otherwise, I'd point you to that one specifically. But the Mon Calmari uh, battle that we see in Tartakovsky's Clone Wars oh. turns into a four-episode arc in Filoni's Clone Wars. And I asked him, at one point, would we be seeing more of that Tartakovsky Clone Wars on Clone Wars. And it was their intention before they got canceled to hopefully lead into redoing that entire arc with Shakti and uh, Grievous getting his cough ah. or, you know, that whole thing. Really? 
Yeah, but it seems like the version of Grievous that's in Clone Wars and in the films is so fundamentally different from the one that's in Tartakovsky's show. And that's oh, prim- 100%. And it's primarily because they were sort of left on their own to like, all right, this is what this thing looks like. You come up with a personality for this thing. Like, that's the only reason the split is as severe um, as it is. Like, I don't know if you could, I don't think you can reconcile those two. But wouldn't it have been fascinating to take that and explode it out into four episodes and see what Filoni and crew yeah. under the direction oh, of George Lucas do with that? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. 100%. Yeah, I, I would have loved to see how they would have navigated the whole uh, the whole train set action sequence, which is amazingly done. Um, and it would have been really cool to see Filoni and company try and rework that for his Clone Wars sensibilities and still keep it vital uh, and interesting and fresh and kinetic. Like, I would have absolutely loved to see them tackle and bring a lot of that uh, discarded Clone Wars stuff into their Clone Wars universe, especially since, like we've already said, there's definitely that influence is there. It's You can't ignore it and you can't deny it. I wish we had more Clone Wars, whether that was Tartakovsky or Filoni mm. or both. Yeah. Um, actually, yeah. in 2007... Uh, just before Filoni's Clone Wars would start, uh, Entertainment Weekly uh, ranked twenty the 25 best sci-fi properties since 1982. Um, so that was 25 years. They called it the Sci-Fi 25. Uh, Clone Wars ranked on that list at number 20, and it was the only Star Wars property to rank. Wow. It beat out Doctor Who, Quantum Leap, and Futurama, but it came uh, in just under Starship Troopers. Aside from the fact that it's no longer canon, Mm-hmm. Why do you think this is not commercially available in the United States and other territories today? I think it's solely that. I think they just it's, don't. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's they not just, where their focus is. Yeah. I just don't think they want to confuse people. But it's. I mean, been, and people been, are still, and people are still confused even today. Like, like people are going to go through uh, and marathon all the Star Wars they can get their hands on, leading right up to the Force Awakens. I know there are people who are going to like they have a set date and they have a calendar that has stuff scheduled out they have left out Clone Wars. And some people are going to try and plug it in. They're going to try and plug it in between specific episodes of Clone Wars because they've looked at timelines and they've done the math and they've sort of figured out that if it did still count, it would fit here and here. Um, I think that's, I mean, like, you'd watch it very first because obviously before Anakin becomes a... mm -hmm. You'd watch it the first, volume one, before you start any Clone Wars. Yeah. And then... Uh, half of volume two until he becomes a Jedi. Mm-hmm. Then you'd watch all of Filoni's series and then you'd watch the last half. Yeah. It'd be incongruous, I guess, is the word. Like it, like if you hopped from Filoni's Clone Wars back into Tartakovsky's Clone Wars. So it's it's sort of like a standalone thing. And since it technically doesn't count, they just don't want to have that standalone thing that doesn't fit with all the other stuff. Uh, because for a very long time there, and you know, and still to some extent now, uh, things fitting together was a very high priority uh, at Lucasfilm. Not as much now as evidenced by the fact that episode numbers are coming out of the marketing, but you know they still want things to sort of fit, and they don't want to potentially confuse the audience. And I think that's all there. I think that's all there is to it. Yeah, I think it's about streamlining. Mm-hmm. I agree. It's just, especially even more so, I, the fact that it's not canon, but that that time period is not their focus right now mm-hmm. either. Yeah, I like. I wouldn't be surprised if that and droids, uh, and Ewoks, and maybe even the Ewok movies all come out like once we have the sequel trilogy up and running and the spinoffs are going well. Like that might be a thing that they pop out. They're obviously not too fussed with taking it off YouTube because it's been on YouTube for years now, like in full at 480p. Um, and they don't seem to be too concerned with taking it off. Like they're fine with you watching it. They don't mind that you watch it because it's amazing. It's some of the best Star Wars that's ever come out, period. Um, and it definitely contains some of the best Star Wars action, if not the best Star Wars action, period. Um, but I just don't think they want to have that out on the market and sitting I, on shelves next to the rest of their stuff and have audiences potentially be confused. I think that's all there is to it. I would love to see them put it out like they did from Star Wars to Jedi, where mm-hmm. they actually divide it up in the original episodes with the original logos and everything on it and put it up on their YouTube channel uh, after Force Awakens comes out at some point, just every couple of weeks, 
new Clone Wars episode hitting the YouTube channel. I don't know. I, I'm happy that it existed, and uh, I hope that people don't forget it. And I'm very glad that Amy suggested this for an episode topic because now we're doing our part to make sure uh, that people don't it, forget it. It is remembered. Yeah, and you well, don't. You also don't have to remember it um, as well. It's better than Filoni's Clone Wars, or it should be forgotten because it's not as good as Filoni's Clone Wars. Like. It's just its own thing. They can coexist. Yeah, it's it's, okay. It's its own thing. It's fairly closed off, and you can enjoy it for what it is while you're watching it. And it's almost impossible not to enjoy it for what it is while you're watching it. Because Tartakovsky, the way that he directs animation, is damn near timeless. It will always work. This show has impact, and this show... The show's impact has radiated out and touched Star Wars, even though it's been put in that closet. And it's a good thing to remember it, I think. Watch it. Yes, please do watch it. Uh, you can go to YouTube. How much do the discs go for on eBay these days? I don't I know. I was just looking at Amazon today, actually, because I caught mine on sale a while ago. Yeah. Um, but they're like $50 per season. <laughs> Dang. And, and I mean, these seasons are one hour long. Yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah. you can get straight from Amazon with Prime shipping for forty eight ninety nine a disc. Yikes. Yep. That's there's gonna there's gonna be uh authorized resellers who are gonna be selling it a little bit cheaper. And uh if you are a kind of person like me, uh who likes to hit the thrift stores on the weekends just for the hell of it, uh keep an eye out. Because I know for a fact that there are used copies of these things floating around quite a bit because more than a few fans actually sold these things back once they were told that they wouldn't count anymore, which was silly. You gave up on gold because uh, you let canon get in the way of you enjoying things that are amazing and wonderful, and that's not how canon is supposed to work. That is not how it's supposed to work. Oh, Oh, man. I know. That reminds me of some some fights people tried dragging me into (laughs) online about uh, in in groups called, like, F Disney and stuff like that. Uh, Oh, jeez. Blech. Well, there's your first sign. <laughs> well, I, they tried to get me like that's ridiculous. At all the Clone Wars because it overwrote the EU, and like those guys are still going strong. Just, uh, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. It's. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. You can still like the stuff that you like. You don't have to still be mad. There. You don't have to be mad because someone else doesn't like the things that you like. As long as it counts to you, it still counts. Yeah, and Tartakovsky's Clone Wars will never not count, so far as I'm concerned. And with that, I think we should wrap up uh, today's episode. Uh, Brian. Where do we find you? Uh, you'll be finding me in, uh, I think, the next issue of Star Wars Insider. I've got some pieces coming out. I've submitted a lot of pieces, so I don't know which one. But uh, there's some stuff there, and, and I've got my Cinema Behind Star Wars column on StarWars.com. Um, soon I will have a new book uh, or two available for pre-order for people to check out so if you want to visit brianyoungfiction.com you can keep an eye out for that and I'm writing about uh, Star Wars news at Big Shiny Robots still also mm. All right, uh, Amy where do we find you at? Uh, you can find me in Star Wars Insider Magazine I have an interview with Ashley Eckstein this month and also an interview with the Novos about their awesome first trooper first order trooper armor and uh, keep an eye on Nerdist.com soon. I will be writing a passionate piece about the prequels. Uh, and I do want to point people towards uh, a fairly cool uh, retrospective that was written by Lisa Granshaw for Blaster.com. Uh, it came out, I think, on uh, late April of this year, as a matter of fact, that is focused solely on Tartakovsky's Clone Wars. Had uh, discussions with uh, James Arnold Taylor, uh, Tartakovsky himself, other people involved with the show. And it's a fairly cool recap. Um, and you guys should check it out i'll make sure that it gets included in the links for this episode and i'll probably get put up on facebook uh as well um and actually we probably should uh include a link to uh where you can pre-buy those those steelbook blu-rays just on the off chance you want them and i would say that uh mike who did not join us this week because he was uh feeling under the weather i just want to wish him uh well in getting healthy again yes Get, get better, Mike, because I I'm not the greatest at doing this by myself. I I screw things up. Which is up. why it took us like 20 minutes to get started. <laughs> All right. So for Amy Ratcliffe, for Brian Young, uh, I'm Bobby Roberts. May the force be with you, always.
Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.